Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this evening to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2, we're going to look together at the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. This is God's holy word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's ask God's blessing. Father, please speak through me now. Speak to all of us by your Spirit, O Lord. Give us joy as we look to Christ, as we seek to worship Him in all of His splendor and glory. And so please minister to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, people respond differently, don't they, to uh, the Christmas season, Some people uh, view the Christmas season with hope and joy and anticipation. Children, I know many of you are are excited uh, just thinking about opening your presents, and and that's something that you look forward to. And and for some people, they just get really excited about this entire season, about the the music and about the, the Christmas shopping even. All that is entailed in Christmas uh, makes, them, makes them excited. But for others, and perhaps this is you tonight, uh, it, it, it makes you stressed. Uh, just thinking about the extra calendar. Uh, just thinking about getting together with your family. Maybe that's a source of anxiety for you. Just thinking about Christmas shopping and, and getting all of that stuff off of your list done and prepared for. It's stressful. It, Brings you anxiety. Uh, yet for others, this time of year creates fear. As they think about Christmas, it's another reminder of their loneliness, of the loss that they have experienced, of the empty seat at the table or the shattered dream. 
And so people respond differently, don't they, to, to the Christmas season. And in a similar way, we might say that people responded differently uh, to the announcement of uh, the birth of the Christ, of the Messiah, born in Bethlehem. You'll remember that in Luke's account, the announcement was given by the angels to uh, the shepherds. And the shepherds then responded and immediately went to see where the child was and uh, left there glorifying and praising God for all that they had just witnessed. Yet Matthew, in his account, gives us a bit of a different angle, a different perspective. Timing-wise, these events that are described in chapter 2 do not take place immediately or the same night of uh, Christ's birth, which is often depicted in the three magi or the three wise men at the manger scene. We know it's not at the manger scene because of what we're told in our passage about how they come to the house of Mary. So we know it's sometime later, months later, perhaps even a year or two after the birth of, of Jesus. But, but it's, it's creating different responses. There is the response of Anger from the king, from King Herod. He's feeling threatened. There's also the response of apathy from the religious leadership. And then there's the response of adoration from these, from these wise men, these foreigners, these travelers who travel uh, hundreds of miles to, to bring worship to Jesus. If you think about it, that's always the case with, with Jesus. He's always demanding some sort of response, isn't he? Even if you are here tonight and you're rejecting him, you are responding to him, aren't you? He demands that sort of respect. He demands a response from us. And so tonight I simply want to walk through the passage by looking at these three different reactions, these three different kinds of people. King Herod, who's angry, uh, the religious leaders uh, who are apathetic, and then these Gentile magi who bring their adoration. So that will be our outline tonight. But before we look at the anger of the king, uh, perhaps it will be helpful to remind ourselves of the context. Uh, the author, of course, is uh, Matthew. And, and Matthew here is writing to largely a Jewish audience. That's important to note. That's important to remember. He's writing primarily to Jews. And he is laboring to show that Jesus is the promised Messiah that was promised and prophesied in the Old Testament and has now come to fulfillment. We, uh, if we looked at chapter 1, we would see that his lineage is traced all the way back to Abraham through the line and lineage of King David. And, and there in chapter 1, Matthew quotes, for example, from the prophet Isaiah. He is showing his audience that Jesus Christ is, uh, is fulfilling all of these Old Testament passages. So, for example, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So, therefore, in light of who Matthew is addressing, what might we expect? What should we expect here in chapter 2? 
we would expect in chapter 2 that there is still an excitement going on, even if this is months after Jesus' birth, at the arrival of the Messiah. Finally, after 400 years of silence, their king has come. The one who was promised of old has been born, has been sent, has arrived. We would imagine there to be an excitement in the streets. Men and women and boys and girls and grandparents who are giving praise to their God, giving praise to their Father for the Messiah's appearance. We see such responses in Luke's account. Simeon, remember, and Anna. They had been waiting for this day, and when that day finally came, they, they were filled with such joy and such contentment as they held him and worshipped him. And I think given that backdrop, given what we would expect to find in chapter 2, it's what makes chapter 2 so surprising, so surprising. For in chapter 2, what we find instead of Jews are Gentiles. Gentiles traveling as many as a thousand miles to find the Jewish king. And when they get there, when they go to Jerusalem, because of course they thought he would be in Jerusalem, being the fact that he was the king of the Jews, there was silence. In fact, they had to go to Herod to ask him where he was. He wasn't in a palace, and it seemed as if not very many people were even talking about it, and there seems to be some confusion here in the silence. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled as to the details surrounding Matthew chapter 2. Who exactly were these magi, or were they wise men, or were they kings? And how on earth did they connect the star to the Messiah? Did it have something to do with their being from perhaps Babylon or Persia and and, and rubbing shoulders with the exiles who maybe taught them something about the Old Testament and the prophecies of the Messiah to come? And what about this star? What was it? You could read books upon books uh, that are trying to decide what this star actually was. But the point of it is not those things, and that's the point. Many of these things we're just not sure of. But we do know this, Matthew is laboring to make this clear. He is saying to his audience, Jews, look who traveled across the world to come and worship King Jesus, the Gentiles. You you see, this in chapter 2 is meant to be an indictment against the Jewish people, against the religious establishment. But it also serves as an invitation. This isn't just the Jews' Messiah. This is the world's Messiah. In fact, this can be your Messiah tonight if you would trust in Him. If you would believe in Him. If you would worship Him. That gives you a little bit of the background, a a little bit of the surprise as we find it here. But now let's uh, let's zoom in a little bit and and look at the three reactions, uh, beginning with uh, the response of King Herod, who responds uh, 
unsurprisingly, with anger. Matthew tells us that Jesus was born in Judea in the days of Herod the king. Herod the king. We're told by historians that Herod was an immensely gifted man. He was a master builder. He helped restore the temple. He had uh, many other building projects that he was uh, involved in in his, in his career. By this point, uh, he had been in service for 30 years. But the older he got, the more paranoid he got that somebody was going to usurp him. Somebody was going to overthrow his throne. And so he became vicious killing his wife, killing many of his sons, killing anyone who he thought was a threat to his position and his power. So when he hears that a Jewish king has been born and that a group of travelers have come this far to check this thing out, he gets creative. He calls a meeting. He calls a meeting with the Sanhedrin the chief priests and the scribes of the day, that small group of of leadership within the Jewish religion in, in Jerusalem. And he tries to find out a little bit more information from them. Then, after they give their answer, and we'll return to that momentarily, he then secretly summons the wise men. He wants to find out the timing of the star. Look with me if you have your Bibles open at verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, boys and girls, this wasn't true. This wasn't true. He didn't want to worship Jesus. He wanted to destroy Jesus. Of course, the wise men didn't know this. The Magi didn't know this. They thought he was being sincere. They thought he was being honest. But behind this statement is a desire to kill, a desire to destroy. We know this because of what it says a little bit later. The angel tells Joseph in a dream Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Herod wants this child dead, whoever it is. He wants no rival. He has no time for someone who's going to compete with him. Makes me think, makes us think of Psalm 2, verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Or that great scene in Revelation chapter 12 of the, 12 of the red dragon. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Or we see the same spirit in the religious establishment as Jesus starts to to minister among his people, as he performs miracles, as he's revealing his identity, who he is and his mission, what he came to accomplish. As they start realizing that this wasn't the kind of Messiah that they wanted. They started realizing that this wasn't the political savior that they had signed up for. They determined in their hearts to destroy him. They plotted secretly behind his back how they could kill the Messiah. 
That's why people hate Jesus. Even to this day. He threatens their place on the throne. People are generally okay with the birth of Jesus and putting up with the music that they hear at Starbucks and affirming that Jesus of Nazareth was born in history about 2,000 years ago, but his claims to be Lord, his claim to be divine, his claim to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords is something that they, they don't like. And people will ignore his invitation when their thrones of autonomy and self-rule are threatened. See, two kings can't rule on one throne. This is often why people are angry about Christ and Christianity. It's because they know the claim being made that Jesus isn't just, uh, just a, another teacher. Jesus isn't just a prophet. Jesus is God. And if He's God, then He demands your worship. And if He's God, He demands your allegiance. And if He's God, He gets to tell you how to live your life. And people don't want Him to run their life. They want to run their lives. And so there's a, there's a safety in calling, you know, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, a whole nother matter when Jesus claims to be the Son of God, the Savior, the King, the Lord, who demands our worship. And so we're not surprised that Herod here is angry because it threatens his own autonomy. It threatens his position and his power and his authority. Secondly, there's another response that we find in Matthew chapter 2. There is the response of the religious establishment, the religious leadership. Again, note that Matthew's audience is primarily Jewish. And when the king summons them and calls them and asks them the question about the, the history uh, about the Messiah. What an opportunity for the religious leaders. Talk about an open door. Please tell me about what the Scriptures say about the Messiah. Herod wants to know more about the Christ. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. Without hesitation, without controversy, he inquired of them where the Christ is to be born in verse 5. Note this. They told him in perfect unity in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And then they quote from Micah chapter 5 verse 2, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Fascinating. They get an A plus in their theological exam. They knew exactly where the Old Testament prophecies were. And they didn't hesitate. And they told Herod the truth from Micah 5, verse 2. However, don't miss this. This is really, really important to see. Notice what these shepherds of Israel failed to do. Did you notice it as I read it this evening? 
they failed, every single one of them, to join the Magi to go see the Christ for themselves. And that's shocking. That is absolutely shocking. Kelvin says this, It is truly an instance of base sluggishness that not one of the Jews offers himself as an escort to these foreigners to go and see the king who had been promised to their own nation. Not one moves a step. Friends, it is not enough to know about Christ. We must go to Christ by faith. We can have all the head knowledge in the world. We can know everything that there is to know in the Bible about who Jesus is, that he is fully God and fully man. We can recite the catechisms and the confessions. But unless we are going to him in faith, unless we are receiving his gift of salvation in humility, then we are missing the whole point. If we truly know Him, we will want to worship Him. If we truly know Him, we will want to be near Him. The danger for us in the church is this. This is all so familiar, isn't it? We can recite this passage. We can recite Luke 2. We can recite the Christmas stories in our sleep. We know it backwards and forwards if we've been in the church for any length of time. And that makes it, in a sense, dangerous. One other commentator says, people with knowledge and education are always tempted to rest content in that knowledge. But it is never enough to know the truth. If we truly know, we act. If we know who Jesus is, we worship Him. What an indictment against these shepherds of Israel. Their king... The Messiah was born. Yet the only ones who actually go to see him, at least in Matthew 2's account, are foreigners. They stayed right where they were in their theological and biblical accuracy, content with their lives, content with their own positions not running to the Messiah, not running to the Savior who was sent by God to save sinners like them. And friends, Christ is right here tonight. He is near you this evening. Don't miss His voice. Romans chapter 10 puts it this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ out from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
For the scripture says, everyone, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's near you through the preaching of the word tonight. Don't miss him. Go to him. Go to him in faith, acknowledging your sin, acknowledging your weakness, acknowledging your need for him, and receive his gift that he lavishes upon you. How tragic. This is tragic. That these shepherds of Israel ignore the Messiah. Anger, apathy. But there's one more uh, response that we find in the text, and that, of course, is the response of the Magi, that of adoration. Adoration. The name Magi means great or powerful ones. We don't know much about them, but we do know that they were men of influence, probably men of education. Probably not three of them, sorry to say. Brought three gifts, but that's about all we know. Probably a large entourage that came with this group. Traveled a long distance to worship this newborn king of the Jews. No doubt came to Jerusalem expecting a capital city buzzing with excitement and jubilation, only to find a lot of people who didn't have a clue or who didn't care, including Herod himself. Look with me, if you would, at verse 9 and 10. After listening to the king, these magi, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is a quadruple superlative. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Uh, repeated for emphasis. They were just so, so amazed by God's guidance and God's leading them in, in, in this star, this, this supernatural sign from God leading them to the exact house where the child was. And Matthew records for us that when they got into the house where Jesus was, they fell down and worshipped him. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine um, being Mary, watching this transpire. Here were these wealthy, influential, educated, powerful men from the East traveling hundreds if not thousands of miles to bow down before a child. But this wasn't just any child. This wasn't just the next Herod. This was God in the flesh. This was the God-man. It's interesting, uh, when the religious leaders, the, the, the Sanhedrin did respond to 
uh, Herod as to the whereabouts of Christ's birth. They knew Bethlehem, and they quote from Micah 5, verse 2, but they actually leave something out. Did anyone catch that? They left something out in, Math, in Micah 5 and verse 2. There it says, But you, O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. And then it adds this in Micah 5, 2, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, from everlasting. So the one who has been born, this Messiah, this one who is, is in his mother's home as a little boy, is from everlasting from ancient days. This child in Mary's arms or this this child playing with his toys, whatever he was doing, this was God. No wonder they came and they fell down before him. Oh, if, if Herod would have known who he was dealing with One day Herod will know. One day Herod's knee will bow. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If the world could see, if the world could know and and believe that the Christ which we celebrate this Christmas, is none other than God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, how they would bow down. These magi brought three gifts, gold, which was the gift for kings, frankincense, which was a sacrifice used in the temple, and myrrh, a spice used for embalming, We don't want to take this too far, and we're not sure what the wise men, what the magi fully knew, but I think it is significant to point out that here these gifts represented the fact that Jesus was the king, that Jesus would serve as the high priest, and that Jesus one day would suffer, would suffer ultimately for us on a cross. And so they they bring out their treasures, they go into the house, they see the child with Mary's mother. Notice the emphasis is on the child and not Mary. The emphasis is placed on the child and they fall down and and it is the child who they worship and they open their treasures and they give him these, these marvelous, expensive, costly gifts. And then the text ends in being warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They departed their own country by another way. God was sovereignly protecting him, sovereignly protecting Joseph and Mary. The father knew that the son had a work to do, that he had a mission to fulfill, that he had come to this earth ultimately to die on a cross. And so tonight, as we look at Matthew chapter 2, and as we see the various responses, that of anger, that of apathy, that of adoration, the question before us is this, what will be our response? Because Jesus always demands a response. The question for you tonight is not if you'll respond, but how you have responded and how you will will respond this evening and this Christmas season. But here's the truth. 
As we read this passage and study its details, we can't help but see ourselves in the first two responses quite uh, far too often. Our response at times, even if we're honest, of anger, of anger when things don't go our way, anger when we don't think the Messiah fits our expectations, anger when He calls us out, anger when He reminds us that His Word is the end. We get angry. And we'd rather be on the throne. And we don't want that to be threatened. We want to be autonomous. We want to make up the rules. And sometimes, maybe it's you tonight. It's been me often. It's an overwhelming apathy. We see the sights and the sounds, hear the sounds. We sing the music. We know that we're... We know that we're celebrating this great event and yet our hearts are just numb. Well, if that's you tonight, if you're angry or if you're apathetic, there is good news. That's the kind of person that this Messiah came to die for. Not a person who has it all together, not a person who is always in a spirit of adoration, but needy and weak and self-centered sinners like you and like me. Just noticed yesterday my neighbor put up a, a, one of these big Christmas cards uh, in, their, in their front lawn. And it has a saying, and many of you have probably seen this before, wise men still seek him. Wise men still seek him. Will you be wise tonight? Will you be wise in seeking the true King, the Messiah. Seek Him while He might be found. Seek Him tonight. O come, let us adore Him. Let us bow before Him. There's a great picture here in Revelation. I'll end here with John's vision of the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, After this, John said, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. Every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God. They worshipped the Lamb saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen, brothers and sisters. May we be worshipers of the true King, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this reminder tonight of your word and the worthiness of the Lamb, the worthiness of King Jesus. 
Lord, how we see ourselves in Herod at times, how we see ourselves in the religious establishment at times. We know a lot up here, and yet sometimes our hearts are so far from you, and yet we thank you and praise you tonight for your glorious and remarkable mercy to sinners. Oh, Lord, would you soften our hearts? Would you reorient us? Would you give us faith to receive this marvelous gift? And then would you give us the strength and the grace to to run after you, to seek you, and to proclaim it to the world that the nations would be brought in. We thank you for the gospel, that it is the good news and the power of God into salvation, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Oh, you are so good to us. We thank you for your word and for feeding us tonight. We ask that we would go from this place remembering that you will hold us fast, and that you love us eternally. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.